Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris. I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're talking a movie in theaters, in limited release, by director Todd Field, Tar. One of the most renowned filmmakers working today. Uh, if you had asked me, gun to my head, who's Todd Field? What did he direct? I'd be like, um... But he did. He some pretty <laughs> some heavyweights, man. Uh, Little Children was great. In the bedroom was great. great. Just he's one of those dudes like James Cameron uh, of independent films, I guess, or smaller scale films that pops up like once a decade. Does independent film mean thirty five million or less? I guess so. Now that uh, Harvey Weinstein is gone, I'm not sure what constitutes an independent film because he was part of the major studio system. He was just pulling smaller movies. Uh, smaller movies with major cast. Tar tracking really well, not from a box office perspective, but critically well-reviewed in the 90s on Metacritic, in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes last I checked, 7.7 rating on IMDb, a populist vote. I think it's a selective audience, and it gets more selective as we go on with the film. I'm guessing that the critics, and especially the ones on IMDb, like you said, the populist vote, those people are the one. The ones who voted are the ones who made it through the first half hour. So I'm guessing it skews higher because you've made made it all the way through Tar. As a layperson, you feel accomplished. I think it's an accomplishment for anyone at a what two and a half hour runtime. It tested my patience. Kelly Ray leans over to me and she's like, is this a movie written for conductors? Do you understand anything? <laughs> I sure hope so, because I'm counting on you, Wes, <laughs> to carry this review. <laughs> oh, man. And so the first thing I wrote was, Tar is a movie for Tar fans. <laughs> but what Tar fans? Lydia Tarr is a legendary figure. She's the first female conductor of a major German symphony orchestra. She's an EGOT winner. And if you've never heard of her, you're just like I had never heard of her. And so I felt uncultured. Well, I'm super uncultured because if Tarr is a real person, I didn't I still don't know that. Yeah, She's not. 
Okay. So first question out of the way. Tar, not a biopic. Totally fictitious character. Which is the filmmakers go through great pains to create a veracity around this fictional character. Why? I don't know. You got to make it like a real person. You got to feel it. And, And in a way... It sort of felt minute and procedural like a bio, like a like, okay, we have to represent this portion, yes. this sort of mundane portion of a real person's life because we have to have yes. context and backstory for what's going to come. And I was like, okay, we're setting her up and and by way of exposition, we're having this extensive interview that lists all her accolades and her accomplishments. We can see her speak and her confident manner and everything, but an awful lot of setup for someone that doesn't exist. It felt very much like a procedural biopic where we have to hit the notes of anybody who's a fan of a real person. Hit the notes. Yeah. Oh, that's hit good. Hit the notes. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, didn't it feel like unquestionably it was a real person? And then you Google her afterwards and you're like, how did I not know about this person? A hundred percent. How do you not know about the famous, infamous Lydia Tarr? Well, because she doesn't exist. It's very confusing. Even on IMDb, this film is listed as a biography. A biography of a fictional character. I guess it was. And like the Banshees of Inishirin, I was at odds with this film because I'm constantly trying to recategorize it genre-wise in my mind. Is this a biopic? Is this a drama? Is this a thriller? Is this a psychological thriller? What is going on? Well, I mean, tar. for the purposes of categorization, which is not a responsibility of yours necessarily, I would say this is definitely a biopic. This is a, a biography drama. But like the Coen brothers prefacing Fargo with this is a true story, it wasn't. We just kind of have to accept that this is just, I, I'm not sure that it matters that she's not real. I guess there's some level of skill in look how faithfully we, we reproduced this character, this personage's life. If it doesn't exist, you can kind of do whatever you want, but it definitely didn't feel random or sporadic. It felt like Todd Field had a vision that he, he thoroughly understood everything. There, there was nuance, there was hints at backstories and things and mannerisms that spoke to a person, but still tell it in such a way that we were kind of guessing, I felt, the whole time. And we jump around in time like we do in biopics to capture the different significant formative moments in a real person's life. You know, when ultimately her backstory, her roots are revealed, it's like, really? How did she come so far? It seems almost fantastical in the scope of like a real normal, like American Midwest person's life to be erudite and like a Christoph Waltz level multilingual performance. You know, that that uh, the simple person, a seemingly simple person would ascend to this level of international, you know, culture and refinement. Like she's very elegant and looked really out of place in like Bob's house or whatever when she's like, hey, Bob. And he's like, hey, you're still doing your thing, eh? You're right. Bob, the, the New York everyman who criticizes her for not knowing where she's going or where she's come from. Well, yeah, she, she's gone too far afield. She's uh, afield. Get it? Uh, a no, field. field. She's just unrecognizable. Not no longer the person. She's putting on airs, as it were. Well, I think that it the the intention there for the reveal of her backstory. You're talking specifically about when she goes home to presumably her childhood home in New York to hide, and she runs into her bro- her brother. We see and we know that Tar has worked her way to success and to fame and to respect and acclaim in her field, you know, and, and now she's fallen. So it makes it 
Does it make it somehow worse to know that she worked her way up? Is that the point in, in revealing that aspect of her backstory? Yeah, it's to, to demonstrate how far she's fallen. If she comes from money and, and tailored suits and, and privilege or whatever that she leveraged, you know, some like if she got to ascend to her position through nepotism or something, then it would be less of a fall. But the fall is all the greater for having seen the climb or whatever the phrase is. But you wouldn't note it from her outward behavior. Like Tar seems to move through life's challenges, whether she's created them herself or whether they're catching up with her or whether they're out of her control with the same kind of momentum and stoicism throughout. From what I can tell, she approached her assignment in, in Thailand. She approached it with so much conviction. It was like she was conducting for Mahler's five. Right. I think it was Monster Hunter. The video game. Which is somehow symbolic of the monster that is tar or that is predatory people in places of responsibility and privilege. I'm not sure <laughs> that Monster Hunter ties in just to show that she's in a completely different place. Because as you said, her physical location or circumstance doesn't matter necessarily. Uh, I think she still had, you know, lots of money or whatever. And she took that position because she is a conductor. But I think Tar's persona is built around power. And how she wields it, the more she collects, the more she can throw her weight around and not only get what she wants. And certainly it is in not the guise of artistry, but under the banner of artistry where she actually gets things done and is an accomplished. Like the things that happened to her and her fall weren't a reflection in any way of her talent. It was just with talent comes the power to be able to conduct everything in your life to play the people around you to ma to manipulate them you know like she baits sebastian for her own desired outcome she basically plays him uh ultimately dismissing him and what's his name the dude in the school right just you watch a person who's susceptible to their reputation and to their or, or subjugated by her and just watch her school them literally you're talking about Elliot Kaplan, the conductor who replaces her for Mahler's fifth at the oh my God. at the German symphony performance that she was preparing for. Yeah, did you write all that down? Because, <laughs> boy, if you're tracking the symphonies and the actual art outside of the politics of the art, uh, you did way more homework than I did. Well, I was tracking Mahler 5 because that was her whole thing that she was building toward. It was kind of the central action around, around which all the drama revolve right and kind of the crowning achievement of her career but you're right she plays her assistant conductor the conductor who was really interested in her trade secrets but who ultimately ends up replacing her mark strong i think one of the only other recognizable people in this cast for me anyway <laughs> despite the hair and the glasses but she's also playing her assistant right go ahead and throw your name on the list yeah poor francesca the long-suffering assistant and then there's kind of like mutual playing between her and Sharon. Like Sharon firmly understands what's going on and allows herself to be played to the extent that she that she finds acceptable. And then maybe Olga similarly is both allowing herself to be played and also playing Lydia. Olga seemed like she was firmly in control. Yeah, was she that calculating? Olga and Sharon are both calculating. They're shrewd. They're intelligent. They just lack the power that Lydia wields and is an essential component 
in her hubris that uh, once you take it away, that's her crumbling point. You know what I mean? Like they don't have really much to lose, but they're both, I think, very smart. And as, as much as it seems like Sharon gets steamrolled, she understands at all times exactly what's happening. And when she right. and the, the little power that she does wield over the daughter, she pulls that off in the end. Petra. Yeah. And once uh, Lydia is kind of stripped of her power, she doesn't have anything over Sharon anymore either. Right. And then loses access to basically the one humanizing non-transactional force in her life yep. in her in her daughter, Petra. But we're talking about the surface level narrative of Tar. And I use that term very loosely because there isn't a ton of story that's driving this film. It's more... Is circumstantial. Maybe the biggest plot points happen in the past, the things that lead to her being, you know, canceled. And it seems like, ironically, the things that from the past, we can take it more face value than the things of the present. I realized that my mistrust of this movie and kind of my general dislike <laughs> of this movie stems from the fact that I can't trust. I felt like I felt like I couldn't trust anything about this movie. The things that I trust the most were things that happened in the past. What was it about this film that made me feel so off? I mean, I felt like Tar was presented like classical music, impenetrable, so, something that I as a layperson wasn't intended to be able to fully access. Well, consider how modern biopics are made, right? That's how I felt he was handling Lydia Tar. Okay, we've got to be driving to a thing that puts us behind the scenes that validates for us our perceptions, our judgments on the thing that happened in their life that justified a movie about them. And you're right. It was a lot of just Tar living her life and going through her sort of cycle of power and work. And because I had no concept for who this person was, I, I wasn't, we weren't, I didn't know what we were driving to. I had no clue what we were moving towards happening. I think that confusion, that lack of stability was part of the point. I think we were meant to be off our footing just enough so that anything could have happened. And when it does, we're rocked the same way Lydia was. It, it wasn't clear cut. And as such, uh, I think psychologically, it was dramatic, I guess, and affecting. I don't know. It's hard to explain why I feel like this movie was well done in a way that feels like a little bit of a cheat because it was a great job telling that fake person's life story. Because if it was fake and you could make her do anything, she could have done stuff a lot more compelling, if that makes sense. I was thinking, oh, the, the filmmakers are being very discreet. They're not gratuitously portraying her indiscretions. They are being very selective about what aspects of her character they want to, or her life that they want to highlight. They certainly aren't being overly generous with uh, her character. But all of those things are like this weird exercise in fake biopics because, it, like you said, it doesn't really matter. My problem with this film is if you take it at surface level, then there doesn't feel like there's a driving through line, something we're working toward or we're working out. And there's a ton of stuff that's just unanswered. Why is there someone screaming in the park? Why is her metronome going off in the middle of the night? You know, who is this mysterious character, this third person? person point of view that we see a lot of her story through like all of it is unanswered but then if you take this on a psychological level I think it's equally flummoxing is that the word 
Like you're supposed to feel it, like you're supposed to feel music, which felt so alienating somehow. I mean, I think her passion came in conducting, really came through because it's everything to her. She's in the moment. She's commanding a grand symphony orchestra. It's the culmination of all her hustle and her hard scrabble sort of raising of herself to this level. Uh, she's very demonstrative, and Kate Blanchett worked really hard. She actually conducted the orchestra. There, are, There's a recording of her actually conducting the orchestra. And she said that Todd Field is all about the real, like authenticity with a capital A, that nothing was going to be half-assed. Even Whiplash was a lot of cheating. And if you, I guess if you're a drummer and you watch Miles Taylor drum, it wasn't on the beat that we were hearing, but we can't tell. And nobody can tell, I suspect, except high-level conductors. But it doesn't matter because Todd Field is going to make it as authentic as possible. Um, in that way, he might have lost some of the dramatic narrative that would keep people like you and I hooked. Because I, I felt like the topic was her taking this musical obsession to an extreme, and she was ultimately going to lose her mind. It certainly felt like she was losing her mind in a Darren Aronofsky sort of sense. And then, you know, obviously we have the Krista thing and what's going to come to pass with that. And we go so off topic with the Krista thing that for a while I forgot that she was losing it. And so they're playing those two things in tandem, but it started to build and build, and I was expecting it to go pretty off the rails, like I thought the whale was going to do. But in the same kind of way, it's confined and restricted, and it's, it's only what we see on her face and, and then our subjective judgment or perception of her life. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's kind of a ghost story. She is a person who needs control and is consistently haunted by the ghost of Krista. Did you see Krista? You know, no, but I read about this. Apparently, there's like a shadowy redheaded figure in her in her everyday life. You have to understand, Kelly and I are coming from the school of Mike Flanagan, and we covered The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. We watched Midnight Mass and recently The Midnight Club. And in the earlier ones, there are ghosts everywhere. So Lydia was doing her thing or whatever, and Kelly raised like, who is that? Who is that? And there's a person standing in the other room. Krista's standing in the other room. And I was like, wait, it's not that kind of movie. Like, who was that? We're going to figure out who that person is in her apartment, right? That wasn't Sharon. And then the kid starts crying in the middle of the night and she jumps out of bed and Krista is sitting in the chair when Kate Blanchett crosses the frame. And so I just got the chills. Yeah, Did you yeah, see that right? in real time? Kelly's right. like, there, there she is again. She's totally in the chair. And once you're tuned in, you'll never miss it again. 
And uh, Mike Flanagan is really good at that. And I cannot imagine that Todd Field didn't take some level of inspiration from that because prior to that, it hadn't really been done. It was so, so crazy and freaky. You begin to just watch the minutia. I think it really helps. Like if you catch it subconsciously, maybe it's one thing, but if you realize in your head that there's much more than you expect, then you kind of look for the subtext. And we, we, kind of sat up and it became a watcher and and she follows olga into the drippy basement or whatever and i was expecting it to go like she's descending into hell and it's gonna go crazy right now so much so that the dog starts growling did you see the dog i mean was that a dog well it was a werewolf in my mind i literally didn't see the dog i read that it was a black german shepherd and i was like wait you saw the dog and she's like yeah you didn't and I thought it was a in-the-park screaming hallucination that she was being hounded by an American werewolf in Berlin. Hounded? Yeah. I think I saw the dog. I saw a shadowy dog-shaped figure. It was like a demon, like the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime Sherlock Holmes-level dog. Okay. Like it was a weird-looking huge dog figure. I'm not sure that it was real. Well, what was real in this movie, Wes? Um... I know that, like the whale, Brendan Fraser is the center of that movie, and unquestionably, Kate Blanchett, we're following her. She's in every scene, and yeah. she's captivating to watch. She's a graceful, terrifying, elegant, erudite, like sort of mad person who's got it all together on the surface, but is unraveling. And so I was happy enough just to watch her go through her life and try to keep all the balls in the air that... I'm not sure the rest of it had to matter. It felt very surreal while also being very grounded. Like there's nothing fantastical or mythological about her totally eating it when she runs up the stairs in the rain and like busting her head. Like it felt it felt real in her life, but it wasn't at the same time. It was really weird. <laughs> well, I'll second that. Isn't it a better story to say I fell in the rain? It than is. Than to fabricate a story about getting attacked? And I wondered how that was going to come to pass. Like if, she, if she's called out for the inaccuracy of, you know, oh, those wounds aren't consistent with a beating. That's blunt trauma from a curb or something. Then I wondered how that, and it, it just didn't. It felt like a real thing that they had to put in the movie because it, you know, she showed up for the performance with a black eye and you wondered if something was going on at home or if, if someone had turned on her or what the deal was with Olga, you know, and then it just wasn't. If she's all busted when she goes and kicks Mark Strong's ass in front of her, like the, the orchestra and the crowd, it looks way better if she looks tore up when she does it. She just looks way crazier. Right? Because she definitely fell apart in public. So what? Did she, though? Yeah. Did that happen? Or was that just her taking control of some kind of situation that was out of control in her mind? How do you trust that scene when the fuglehorn, buglehorn trumpeter or or whatever who's playing inexplicably backstage doesn't react whatsoever that the disgraced, demoted conductor is is standing in the wings? Well, I, I mean, what's he do? Supposed to like do the the revelry charge? Well, I mean, basically because he's there for. I can't understand why he's there other than to give her some entryway entry. Fanfare. Like, why is he playing back there? I think it was meant to be like a distant thing. It was an acoustic trick or whatever that they do in the orchestra, having someone play off stage to give it that echoey background effect. I don't know. 
But I did feel like that that moment, at least in public, was the epitome of her breakdown. Like that was the thing that makes YouTube blow up with her and not the behind the scenes. You know, we're quietly investigating this incident with Krista and you're aware how much you might be responsible. Like there's no questioning people seeing her in full glory, like tackle the guest conductor or the replacement conductor on stage. (sighs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's not real. They didn't need to faithfully reconstruct Lydia Tarr's life or whatever. But it felt real, man. I'm telling you. Like, I get that this movie puts a bad taste in one's mouth, but the whole thing is constructed like an orchestral piece. Um, she's walking at a certain, at a particular number of beats per minute, like a, like 128 or 126 beats per minute. And the other characters walk at like 60 and stuff. Like, it's all musically timed but not in a ham-handed kind of way. It's so carefully constructed. And yet we think it's a biopic because it's named after the person whose name isn't even Lydia Tarr. It was like Linda, right? Her real name. Right. And the Tarr is like a... Linda. She has like a fake accent mark over her last name. (laughs) It's so... There's so many levels. Like Todd Field confessed that when he started on this endeavor, it probably took him 12 years because he said he didn't know anything about the world of conductors for major symphony orchestras. And he did way too much homework. So for it to come in under two and a half hours or whatever is kind of a remarkable achievement. Like this is Todd Field being restrained or like showing discretion. (laughs) It is an actual issue that's represented in this fictional figure. Not no one has blown up in class like classical music and been canceled. But from what I hear from a few sources, uh, classical music is at an all time high for favoritism and racism and subjugation and stuff. We perceive it as something being upstanding and refined, but really it's just, it's like cutthroat. it, It doesn't like conductors don't have HR. So is this a cancel culture movie? 100%. Or is this a, yeah? I I believe so, yeah. It's a commentary on cancel culture and how it can happen more or less to anyone as uh, Sean Fanning in The Social Network, who says when they come for you, the stuff they're going to get you for is stuff you've already done. But doesn't cancel culture refer to people jumping to conclusions? Like, it's not cancel culture if she's a predatory, manipulative, abusive monster. It's true, but she wields this power and it is kind of in her own head and assumes that people should be at her level or they're worthy of disdain. When Max, when she has the confrontation with Max at Juilliard, she is just, she's so impatient and refuses to kind of acknowledge his perspective on things and and me personally, like this is why I could never be in a position of privilege and power like that, because I would have stomped on his foot way before she like stilled his knee. Once the knee was bouncing, I was like, stop that, stop that. And so when she did, I was like, that took you long enough, Lydia. But that all, all that stuff gets misconstrued. And what I might add is the worst, most ham-handed like scandal video I've ever seen. Like she was saying, like, you cut to the thing and you can't do that in like a real-time video. It's obviously a fake, which it was, but it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter because, as the council said, it would be one thing if this was the only instance, right? And this leads me to the very confusing use of social media in this film. This film totally validates my, my first shot theory. The moment that we open on the social media shot of presumably Lydia Tarr asleep on her private jet, I was like, I hate this movie. I mean, especially after the two minutes of that 
Oh, the blurry images, the illegible text, the vague muddled yeah. singing. I hated it. It was it was so off-putting, and frankly, I never recovered, right? <laughs> there are some interesting, compelling vignettes. Kate Blanchett's performance is incredible and very authentic seeming for completely fictional fictional character, but the cumulative effect of Tar was frustrating. Yeah. It was really frustrating and and perhaps if I had more patience or space in my life, I would be willing to explore the intricacies of the Krista Ghost story or the, the, the different layers of the psychological thriller. But overall, I didn't find it to be boring, but I give it probably one of my strongest boring ratings. <laughs> wow. So they're never going to make the tar ride at Universal Hollywood or Orlando. <laughs> um, they're never going to make the whale ride. But after they're dead and they, we see them in memoriam, we're going to see Brendan Fraser definitely as, uh, as the whale. And we're going to see Lydia Tarr, Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr, doing her thing in this movie that's remarkable to watch. I mean, she's so commanding and, and such a presence, I don't think, because Todd Field doesn't think, that if Kate Blanchett, for whom this role was written, if she had declined the role, he just wouldn't have made the movie. And I can see why. Great to watch her, and it will be a legendary, it will go down as a legendary performance. And I'm going to argue probably her third Oscar. Third Oscar! Who's done that? But as far as the movie goes, it's really just in service of her character. Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr is good enough that that person didn't have to be a real person for me. I give Tarr an all right because I think this performance is worthy of seeing and it's a lot to suffer through, but it makes her fall all the more impactful. It worked for me. It just didn't feel great. And that's our discussion on Cape Lanchette in Tar. Available in theaters, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Check out other Cape Lanchette reviews, including Nightmare Alley, including <laughs> Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> don't look up and 200 plus more at or whatever movies.com um, I can firmly say that if I ever cross somebody in my life I'm going to have some kind of terrible dream of Lydia Tarr approaching me yeah. and being like I'm that person's father and I'm going to get you don't cross Lydia Tarr man <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.